have your way here this morning. That you would come and speak to us. That your spirit would be here. It's here already, but Lord, we ask that you would move. That you would move in our hearts. You would open up our, our ears, open up our eyes to see new things in you. I thank you for this series that's just giving us new lenses to see your word, to see your truth, to see what you are doing amongst us. Just in new ways, in fresh ways, Lord. Amen. So in this series, I, I saw just the number eight and then flipped on its side and it was just lenses that I, I saw. And we've been speaking about it. That it's, it's almost like when you go to the optometrist and they've got multiple different lenses for you. And those different lenses allow you to see life differently, allow you to see church differently, allow you to see yourselves differently. And we've gone through a couple already. We've gone through John 8, where the truth of God comes and gives us a different perspective on who we are. We've gone through Mark 8, where last week we saw just the lens of the gospel, lens of Christ, of saying, who am I? Who do people say that I am? And allowing that to actually shape us because we're so used to going back to just the ways of the world and our natural habits. And we think that actually if we can, I think the big thing in church is like, if I can show you how powerful God is, then everything will be completely changed. If I can show you how powerful this is, that it will fix everything in your life, then you'll believe. Then church will work. Then your life will work then everybody will be convinced. And unfortunately, I think there's something of the ways of the world locked up in that thinking. Because we think about like, actually, if God just comes in the power of the Spirit, then everybody, you will have no excuse, you'll have to believe, and then everything will be fine. Or if I can just figure out all the tips and tricks, and if I know the Bible enough, and I fast and pray enough, and I figured out everything that has led to my my curse and my sickness and my singleness and my poverty and if I can figure it out then then they'll see if we were just the most prosperous people didn't have a care in the world if we had all the money then people would believe or maybe it's no actually if we were the holiest people in the world like if we, if we just got it right, if we really just loved God perfectly and we worshiped perfectly and we did everything just right and we never said a, like put a foot wrong and we always loved everybody perfectly, then like the kingdom would come and the spirit would break out and everybody would be convinced. And we're looking for all of these ways that externally we can show and we can prove to people that this is right. The thing is, that's exactly what Jesus confronted last week when it's, who do people say that I am? It's like, no, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. It's like, yeah, but the Son of God has to die so that people can actually live. You have to go through the pain and the sacrifice and the suffering so that people can actually see what God is like. And it was, what? no, you don't have the ways of Christ on your mind. You don't have the ways of God on your mind. And it's challenging because... We're so tempted to think of in our own ways. We're so tempted to think that this is the way that actually everybody would be convinced. And my dad did, probably didn't know it, but today we're going through Romans 8. <laughs> uh, but first I want to just read something from Isaiah quickly. Because I think God showed me something for, for us as a community. Just 
is Isaiah 59 verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. Now, this is not just for us, but it's the covenant that God promised he would make with all of us. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And there's something of God's spirit, God's word, and the life of God and our lives that has to come together. I've shown you guys a couple of these over the past few weeks. And I just felt like to partly change it. We've been looking at this as like a vision of my idea of church and your idea of church and God's idea of church and where they overlap. We start seeing what God is doing amongst us. But I say, what if we actually had a church that understood how to place the word of God at the center of our lives and empowered by the spirit and letting that overflow into our lives. We've, a lot of us have been in church for a while and what they always say is like that you either have a church that's like built upon the word, but they're not really open to the, the move of the spirit and the power of the spirit. And then you've got the people that are completely open to like the power and the craziness and the, the wackiness of the spirit. And, but then they're not that clued up on the word. It's, and both sides look at each other and say like, ah, oh, you guys are completely, you're just missing it. It's like the, the, the word side makes excuses like, no, we got the spirit. We got it when we were saved and we've always got it. It's like, yeah, but where's the, the feeling of it? Where's the life of God? And then the word side is like, no, but I quoted some verses. I must be, it's like they might have been out of context and like said whatever I felt like. But, and, and it's so difficult because we, we try and look at this. And then I think what we've done in the, like in the last few years, we've, we've tried to focus like, okay, let's not focus on what divides us and let's just focus on life. Let's get community right. Let's get fellowship right. Let's get like, what well, that's what church is actually all about. If you can come and you can have a good coffee and we can make friends, like there's an external benefit for that. And you'll see that like, we'll be benefit to our community and we'll, it's like we're looking for tangible signs of why this is good for me. Because like we've seen, we, we put ourselves at the top of the hierarchy and it's like if I can, if I judge that this is good for me, then I'll come to it. If, if it works for me, if it really adds something to my life, then, then I'll maybe, then I'll come to church. Then I'll side with church. Then I'll go for it. But I'm hoping that we can find a way that we can find a way to actually have a combination of the three. And I, I'm trusting that we can find this together. Because I've realized that like, as there's, I think God is stirring something. And he's stirring stuff in our hearts. And I see something stirring in Warren's heart of evangelism. And he just wants to tell everybody about what God is doing. And you know what? Like, he can start getting frustrated because why are you not all evangelizing? Like, come on. Why are you not telling people about what God is doing? And then you get quibbles that starts like discovering just the heart of singing and worshiping to God. And it's like, why is everybody not worshiping like this? And... I could get frustrated. It's like, why do you not love the word like this? It's like, no, we just need to worship and we just need to focus on this. And it's like, no, all of this is worship. All of it. We need to like redefine worship in our heads. It's not singing. It is our life devoted to God, overflowing in a multiplicity of gifts. Every single one of your gifts needs to come 
under worship to declare like God's goodness to the world. And when we do that, we will find a balance of the gifts and we'll learn to actually benefit from each other. The problem is it takes a wrestle because it's like when we first like get confronted with it, it's like, oh man, we need to do this. I need to think we need to do this. And it's like, wow, no, but I'm right. I've heard from God. It's like, yeah, but I'm right. I've heard from God. It's like, cool. Both of you have. We need to find each other first. And we're praying together and we're saying like, actually, God, would you unite us first? Unite our hearts around what you are doing. And then let us learn to add ourselves and find each other and believe the best about each other. And then we will actually, I think God will start adding momentum to us. Because we'll understand how to actually incorporate the variety of gifts and we'll have compassion for those that have just come in and we'll have sympathy for those that have been entrenched in their ways for a long time but we'll learn to actually find each other and find a bridge that actually unites it oh we're talking about the spirit today but there's one guy that i've learned a lot from he says he's got this funny thing there's like words that fudge because we, we use a word, but then it means so many different things that we're not quite sure what it actually means. So we kind of use it, but we, we like, what does it actually mean? And if you look up the definition of like spirit, I've only put nine down. Like Merriam-Webster's dictionary actually has like 14 different definitions. So when we talk about spirit, it's, it's like by the nature of it, it's, it's something we can grab hold of, but we can't really. So we, we, we kind of fumble around it a little bit. So... I want to just go through a couple of things. First, obviously, the Holy Spirit. He's a person, he's an entity, he's a, a being, he's somebody we can actually relate to. Sometimes the Bible talks about him as like, it, it's true to the grammar. It actually says it, sometimes it says it's a he. It's like he. John and like Paul will actually break grammar, Greek grammar sometimes and refer to the Holy Spirit as a he. So then there's spirits can also just talk about like immaterial spirits, whether it's angelic or demonic or whatever it is. Um, sorry, I skipped on there. Or our spirits. So we talk about like the spirit being an immaterial part of who we are. There's debates whether we, there's a dichotomy or a trichotomy. If you actually go to the Bible, there's about seven different parts that it talks about who we are. And like, we, we, we make these major debates, but we don't have to worry about that. The spirit is partly talking about that immaterial force that moves and empowers you. Like the spirit, like Warren's spirit. There's something that actually connects him to God. And there's something that motivates him and moves him. Because the spirit is often, like the, the Greek and the Hebrew words, are actually the same word for wind or breath. You think of that famous old preacher. It's like, I've never seen the wind. I've seen the effects of the wind, but I haven't seen the wind. If you listen to DC talk, you knew what that was. But that's going a long way back. Um, so it's, there's, there's something of like, actually, it's something that moves us and stirs us and powers us and strengthens us. It moves the ship, but you can't actually see it. So there's something of that that's locked up in the word spirit. So it's an animating power of who we are sometimes. So there's a, there's a spirit of humility. It's like we, we talk about, and it's like, can we put our finger on what that actually is? No, not really, but we know it when we see it. And we, we can know somebody's actually operating in that type of a spirit. Sometimes it's the essence of something. There's a spirit of the law. It's like we know that that's, that's what it was actually meant for. It's not always how it operates. So sometimes we can operate very legalistically, but actually that's not supposed to be what's supposed to be there. Sometimes it's just spirits, um, a type of alcohol. But then there's another thing. There's like school spirit. 
it's like a collective disposition. We're actually, there's something that bonds, like boys high boys. You know that a boy's high boy because he's like, he has a, a spirit about him because there's a school spirit and he's so excited and happy and like they always make the joke about the Uffies even worse. Like how do you know he's from Uffies? No, he's told you he's from Uffies. <laughs> it's not always true. <laughs> um, then there's a, a personal disposition. You might be somebody that's poor in spirit or it's like, what is the spirit of that person? What is their disposition at the moment? It's actually, they're downcast. They're down in like spirit. Lastly, they can actually be the empowering. It's you're in the spirit. That's how I think the Bible was written. It was in the spirit. It's not like the spirit grab hold of that person and they like force them to like write something. It's like, no, they, they, were, they were just in tune with what the Spirit was wanting to say and do that the Spirit moved them, motivated by their power and who they are. That's how they wrote. That's sometimes how we, we see people prophesy. It's not because the Spirit like has grabbed hold of them and now they're just like this animated corpse. It's like there's something of them actually coming in line with what God is doing and He's strengthening them. And it's like, how do we put our finger on what exactly that is we can't, but we need to have something of this all in mind. Now, we're going to Romans. I'm actually not going to, it's a, quite a hectic one this week. You can go watch the video on the Bible Project. They break it up into like four different sections. In my head, Romans has always been broken up into like two major sections where everything builds up to Romans 8. And then everything after that is almost just an overflow of what God has shown us and like built up to in Romans 8. So I'm going to read just some set selection from Romans 1 to 7. And then I'm going to read Romans 8 and we'll pretty much be done. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. But therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation for, or by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that by but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, given, who has been given to us. 
Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin therefore live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. But I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. On the back of all of that, of everything that God has done for us and this desire not to sin, but then we still keep sinning and we struggle and there's a brokenness in us. It's like, how do we get ourselves set free? We don't. Jesus has set us free. And there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit who set their mind on the ways of God, set their mind on the ways of Christ, not on the ways of the world. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. I find so often that Christians walk around with this condemnation, with this fear that judgment is still coming, with a fear that like, man, I might still slip. Maybe I haven't done everything. Maybe I haven't done what I should do. Maybe I haven't covered over everything. Maybe I haven't repented enough. That was my like mindset for most of my Christian upbringing until I was like, I don't know, 22, 23, somewhere there. Where God grabbed hold of my life and showed me that He had saved me. It was not my actions that saved me. And I 100% believe that there is no condemnation for you. None. There is no fear of you turning your back on God. There's no fear of you losing out on this. 
Like, there is nothing you did to be saved. There is nothing you can do to unsave yourself. We read these verses and they sound too good to be true. So then we create ideas and doctrines that actually, like, they try and, like, make sense of that fear inside of us that it's like, oh, I know God has saved me. I know there's no condemnation. But what if I step away? Then I'll like unearn everything. So it's like it's only if, it's, if I'm in Christ, then I have. But what if I step out of Christ? There's no thing that says you can step out of Christ. There's warnings in the Bible of not entering into the fullness of what God has for you. But there's no warnings of you losing what he has given you. There's no part where he's saying like, oh, my sons and daughters, I'm going to disinherit you actually you're not going to step into the fullness of the kingdom the israelites they never went back to egypt they didn't step into the fullness of the promised land but they never went back to egypt so then brothers we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die but if this if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Literally uses the Aramaic word that Jesus would have used, of Abba, Father. This is written in Greek, but they, they put in an Aramaic word to probably look that this was what, probably how Jesus taught them to pray. When he asked, the disciples asked him, teach Jesus, teach us how to pray. He said, Father. He taught us to pray to our Father by showing that we are actually his children, sons and daughters. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he has seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The Spirit is what comes and gives us power over the flesh. So we can actually live in that state of no condemnation. The Spirit is the one that actually comes and shows us that we are sons and daughters of God. Who cry out, Abba, Father. Because of that, we, we're suffering in this day and age. And that's not saying the suffering of like that everybody is going through. There's something of us yearning and longing for the world to be better than what it is. There's something of us yearning and longing for us to be transformed into the sons and daughters of God. There's something of the Spirit stirring something inside of us so we would actually long for the world to be different. We're longing for the kingdom to come. 
There's something innate in like humanity that is looking for the kingdom to come. We just don't want it if, with our king. But we have seen our king. We have seen Jesus. And because of that, we're longing and we're yearning and saying the creation is not what it could be. Life is not what it could be. Church is not what it could be. But we're yearning and we're longing and we're praying and we're saying, God, would you make it so? We're longing in like, it literally says the pains of childbirth. I have no idea what that is. But it's like we understand what that yearning and that pain. It's like, can you only imagine that there's there's the, the most pain that you could ever feel in your life. And there's this earning and yearning and groaning inside to get something out of actually I'm longing for it to be like that. I'm longing for this child to come out and actually see what God has hoped for, what God has placed inside of our hearts. And there's something of us yearning like that for our lives. And there's a, there's a discontent for how it is. But let it be like a righteous discontentment for the fact that actually I want life to be the way that God designed it. In praying for you guys and just church in general, I'm, I'm thinking like that. Like, God, how do we, how do I get this through? How do I understand? How do I communicate this? God, show me ways to communicate this. How to penetrate hearts, to penetrate ears, to penetrate minds. Like maybe you, you've grown cold because you're so frustrated. You've tried and you've hoped and you've, you've believed for so long. And you're just tired. Maybe you, you actually just, you're partly just rebellious. And it's like, I don't want to give up that, that sin. I don't want to give up that part of my life. God, you can have all of this, but let me hold on to this part. Maybe you just, you've become so confident that you've got the way. You've got the answer. And you, everybody else must just wake up. You don't realize that that, certainty of where you are is actually what's holding you back so it's like some people i think are are almost like caked over it's like this dry ground and then some people there's these trenches that have been inlaid like and you can't get out of that rut anymore and i was just praying god how do we get through it's like does it require like a do we go in with like harsh words, like a pickaxe of how to actually get through and get through? And God's saying, no. It's that gentle rain. It's actually God's kindness is what leads to repentance. So that, that comes from Romans where it's actually like it's praying about the Pharisees, about Israel that knew we are the chosen people. We are the sons of God. We've got it all right. Like, maybe that's you. Maybe it's like, man, I've done nothing wrong. I've done everything right my whole life. I've been a good boy. I didn't do this. I didn't ever smoked. I never drank. It's, it's like, I should, I should be one of the good people. Maybe it's like I was at the, the previous move of God, and I know what the spirit moving looks like. I know what it looks like. I can show you. And you guys just need to get on board with what I've, I've got the answers. Be careful. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees. Like that, that pharisaical spirit can come over us Christians. 
It's like we think, oh, we, we're the ones that see Jesus. But actually, we can so operate in the way that the Pharisees did because we think we've got it all together. And it's those bad people out there. It's those young people over there. It's those old people that just don't get it. It's the equal opportunity offense here today. It's all of us can be so blinded because it's, it's but this is the way that I want to do it. Yeah, but what if God wants to do it a different way? What if God wants to shake us up and bring in something that you have no idea how to handle? Like, wow, maybe he does. Like they always say that the, the people that are so against the next move of God are the people that have been a part of the previous move of God. Because they saw God move in power. And I know how it looks. And it doesn't look like that. And it's just be careful. Because God is going to do a new thing. Because he always does a new thing. It's like, why did he have to spit and like rub on blind guys' eyes? It's like, partly for it to be offensive, I think. Because it's like, that's not the right way to do it, Jesus. It's like, well, it worked. <laughs> it brought freedom. You don't have to shake. Well, what? I shake. Like, I, I don't know why. Like, I can't, I can't explain it. I can't tell you why God shakes my arm, but he does. If I knew why, like, I don't even know if it would help. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of, Christ, mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I can't resolve the biggest theological debates that have been raging for 500 years, but what this is showing is that God has a plan for us. And those whom he has called, he has justified. And those whom he has justified will be glorified. If you know your theological language, sanctification is not a part of this list because it's not a part of how good you become, whether this is a certainty or not. But God is going to do it. You have been planned to be conformed to the image of his Son. The question is, how much are we going to walk in it now? How much are we going to set our minds on the ways of Christ and become what He has asked us to become? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for all of us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. We have the Spirit interceding for us. We have Christ interceding for us. Who can bring a charge against you? Literally, the judge is on your side. His Spirit is empowering you, praying for you, so that you would be transformed. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, not your sin, not your brokenness, not your pain, like not your depression, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Those who live according to the flesh or according to the Spirit, set their mind on the things of the Spirit. You have received the Spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit is interceding for the saints according to the will of God. There's, you could literally preach sermon series on this one chapter, never mind trying to cover the whole book of Romans, or at least the first half. But I want to leave you just with these three things. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not debtors, but we are sons. If you guys come from 3CI or have heard this before, it's, the sons is not a derogatory thing. Of It's like it's only the guys that are involved, but sons were the ones who were the heirs. So by saying that you're a son is actually a privileged way of saying that you are a co-heir. It's actually empowering for ladies to say you're a son because you're a co-heir with God, with Christ. So you're, you're actually children of God, but you are sons. And then we are more than conquerors. By the power of the Spirit, by Him coming and living inside of us, we are raised to so much more that we don't have to be in bondage to that sin. You think of Paul saying, like, man... But wretched man that I am, I can't overcome these sins. It's like, no, the Spirit comes and empowers you to live differently. The Spirit comes and actually declares to you and says that your identity is now a son of God. There is no wondering about whether you're worthy or not, whether you measure up or not, whether you are good enough or not, whether He has a plan for you or not. He has a plan for you. You have been chosen. You have been You've been like selected. You've been predestined. You're going to be glorified. You're going to be conformed to the Son. So there's nothing that can separate us. Nothing. Paul is literally grabbing for language. What is the most powerful things in this world? Height, nor depth, nor rulers, nor powers. Can the demons, can this, can like earthly powers, can heavenly powers, can the government get involved? Can, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Doesn't matter what you go through, the suffering that you go through, nothing is a, a sign, ah, I must have missed it. God doesn't care for me. God doesn't love me. No, nothing can separate you from the love of God. The Spirit is there interceding for us and working in and through us. Jesus is interceding for us. He's literally, He's praying for us. He's standing in the gap for us. He knows better than what we know. He knows the will of God. He knows the plan that he has for you. And that he's the one who's praying for us. The one who knows the will of God is the one who is interceding and praying the perfect prayers for you. 
talks about the groanings, like too deep for words, those groanings that we have of wanting for creation to be what it should be and our lives to be what it should be. The one who actually understands and empowers those groanings is the one that's actually praying the perfect prayers for us. So what does that look like? It's like we're longing for all of this. Like I think when we talk about being filled and living with and walking with the power of the Spirit, it's like, do we have to have like this new filling of the Spirit, or the, a baptism of the Spirit? We've had these debates going on in church for a long time. I believe that every Christian that talks about you cannot become a Christian without the power of the Spirit. But then there's also a new filling of the Spirit that you should be able to experience and understand and feel the power of the Spirit in your life. And that's available for you. So we're going to be praying for the filling of the Spirit. Um, but it might not look like what we've known before. Um, it might, but it might not. Because I think we, we, we so quickly shift from that like the ways of Christ into the ways that we've known and the ways of the world and it's like man I want to be empowered by the spirit to do these powerful things and bring healing and transformation and set people free and, and I long for all of that but what this is talking about is actually to free you from sin to free you from idolatry, sexual immorality, from greed, from envy, from drunkenness, from gluttony, from lying, from theft, from murder, from anger, from strife, from dishonesty, from slander, from unbelief, from disobedience, from hypocrisy, from selfishness, from deception, from lust, from covetousness, from disobedience to parents, from unforgiveness, from malice, from blasphemy, from arrogance, from dishonesty in business, from an unrighteous anger, from bitterness, from materialism, from gossip, from impure thoughts, from presumption, from rebellion, from hateful speech, from disrespect, from unmerciful behavior, from dishonesty in speech, from injustice, from boasting, from pride, from selfish ambition, from neglect of others, from intolerance, from ingratitude, from complaining. It's going to set us free from all of those sins. That's the first thing God wants to do. And he wants to create a community that is filled with a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, righteousness, truth, holiness, forgiveness, transformation, power, comfort, strength, wisdom, understanding, righteous judgment, freedom, boldness, hope, discernment, healing, enablement to obey, producing fruit, empowering for service, gifts of the Spirit, bringing forth spiritual growth. The reason why he wants to do that, because those are the ways of Christ, because the character traits of Jesus are love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, compassion, mercy, grace, forgiveness, righteousness, truth, holiness, justice, wisdom, power, courage, humility, generosity, selflessness, forbearance, endurance, diligence, serenity, trustworthiness, empathy, love for others, generosity, humility, obedience, self-discipline, tender-heartedness, forgiveness, patience, love for the pure, Poor, righteous anger, goodness, discipline, holiness, truth, peace, and understanding. God wants us to be conformed to that. That is the power that God wants to give us. The fruit, the power, the gifts, the ways of Christ, 
the power of the Spirit brings the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the character of Christ in us as we are conformed to His image, individually, corporately, so that this would overflow, that this would be a place where the Word of God is held up. The Word of God is Christ. That the Spirit of God would be appreciated and loved and held on to tightly. And we would overflow in a life of love. The love of the Father.